listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. and welcome to Footprints on Our Hearts. Today in episode 45, one of my guest hosts, Cheney, has an interview with Hector's mum, Jessica. Now, Hector was diagnosed with Edwards syndrome during Jessica's pregnancy. And Jessica and Cheney have a really interesting discussion about the language used to deliver bad news and how this can affect parents' perception of what their options are, particularly around medical terminations. And I think this is a a really important topic and subject to be aware of. And I'm really grateful to Cheney and Jessica for for kind of raising this and and talking about it um, in this episode. So I think I think it's really useful for people to be aware of. And if you have either had to have been through a medical termination or if you have had a child with Edgerton syndrome or another of these life-limiting conditions, then hopefully you'll find it an interesting interview and discussion. Um, This week, I'm sure you'll have seen in the news that Meghan Markle, Duchess of Sussex, opened up about the miscarriage she suffered earlier this year. And it feels like there have been quite a few celebrities, for want of a better word, who have opened up around baby loss in recent weeks. And I'm not quite sure what what the, the sort of trigger for this is, um, whether, you know, if one person, one sort of high-profile individual opens up, then it encourages other people to. But I think it's, I think it's a really great thing. I think it's fantastic that they've been brave enough to open up and talk about their experiences um, because as I've mentioned before you know they can reach such a wide audience and help normalize these conversations around miscarriage and baby loss and it's quite interesting actually because um, I was catching up on season three I think of The Crown not the latest one which has just come out but the one before a few weeks ago and it actually crossed my mind while I was watching it that I'd never heard of anyone from the royal family having sort of opened up or you know having heard about anyone in the royal family having experienced baby loss and you know the odds are you know just based on on probability we know that one in four pregnancies ends in loss and you know no one is immune from baby loss, whatever your social situation, however wealthy and privileged you are, you can't guarantee that you'll bring your baby home. And I'm sure that there are individuals in the royal family who have experienced and perhaps miscarriage or baby loss before and and have kept that private. And, you know, that is, that is 100% their right, you know, although they are obviously a very public family and, in the news and media and and have this kind of public side to them, they're also entitled to their private life. So I'm not for any minute saying that they should have done that. They should have opened up if if they did indeed experience that. But um, I think, you know, I think it's great that Meghan and Harry have opened up about their experience. And, you know, my heart goes out to them and everyone who's experienced the trauma of baby loss. 
If you listened to last week's podcast episode about remembering our babies at Christmas and Advent to Remember, or if you're thinking of doing Advent to Remember this year and struggling for ideas, then my latest post for my Patreon supporters might be useful. And that details my 24 ideas for Advent to Remember. So that's an idea for every day. Or in fact, for some of the ideas I've put down, you could do variations on that idea 24 times. (laughs) So there's lots of inspiration, hopefully there for everyone. Um, you know, whatever your whatever time constraints you have, whatever budget you have, there are things you can do to remember your baby at Christmas. And that's now available to Patreon supporters. And if you want to access that post, you can support the podcast on Patreon from just a few pounds a month. Um, go to patreon.com slash footprints on our hearts for more details and to sign up for that. And as always, a huge thank you to all my patrons on Patreon for helping me keep the podcast running. That's all I wanted to say this week. Uh, I'll get let you get into this week's fantastic interview with Jessica and Cheney. Hello and um, welcome to Footprints on Our Hearts. This is a podcast that's normally hosted by Alison, but this week I'm a guest host and I am joined by Hector's mummy. Um, so thank you for joining me today. It's really lovely to have you. You're welcome. Would you mind by starting to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Okay. I am Jessica. I am 40 years old now. Woohoo. I have three children, two living and one who's passed away. Married to Adam. We've been together seven years and married for three this year. We live in Basingstoke in Hampshire. Work-wise, I'm an accountant. I work for a company and I run my own accountancy firm as well, just to keep myself extra busy. And I, um, I'm i a bereaved mum who <laughs> is trying to parent a, a child as well as two living children. It's quite a difficult one. But that's me. That's That's a little bit about me. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's really nice to have you and hopefully we can hear a little bit about your story and how you do manage to parent two children here and Hector as well. So do you mind sharing a bit of background about Hector and maybe your pregnancy and um, just how you got on just share his story? Yeah, sure. So gosh, we fell pregnant with Hector March 2018 and Like you do, you pee on a stick, you get the line and you think you're going to have that baby and bring it home. And we always wanted a sibling for Hugo. So Hugo is now four. He was he was one at the time. And um, yeah, it was obviously a happy time thinking that everything was going to be okay, and you're going to bring the baby home. Fast forward to the first scan, the dating scan. So we had that about 13 weeks. Um, we had the bloods to test for the usual things, Downs, Edward, Pato, and you sort of do that and you just think nothing of it. So that was on the Friday, actually. Friday the 30th of May. Uh, dates are very poignant, aren't they? You, you do remember dates. Yeah. The Monday morning, actually, getting ready for work. In fact, Adam had already just walked out the door for work. I had a phone call from the hospital and it was a call that they'd like to have a chat about the screening result. Um, I was like, oh, okay. You know, having a previous pregnancy that no problems whatsoever you know normal and only having two scans and and bringing the baby home 
even though you have the tests done, you never for a second think there's going to be anything to come from it, do you? We all do it because we all want to, you know, regardless of what anybody says, everybody wants a healthy baby. You know, we we might lie and say, oh, it doesn't matter, but you want a healthy baby at the end of the day. And, you know, you you do all those tests and you just, I guess you don't want the realisation or you don't want to think about the outcome if it does come back. But, you know, when it does, it's an absolute shocker. I mean, the call was just, you know, they didn't give away anything on the call. It was just like, we want you to come in. We want to talk to you. So Adam had already gone to work and he, I mean, he worked about an hour away and I phoned him and said, oh, the hospital phoned and want to talk to us about our screening results, you know, like still a bit like, well, wonder what that could be. He said, oh, I'll come back. I'll come with you, you know. So he rushed back and they said, you know, just to come straight to the hospital. So I was like, this is okay. What does this mean? So rushed straight to the hospital and got like ushered into a room and it was like oh my god what is going on here and she said that you we'd come back in the high risk category for Edwards or Patel syndrome and everybody knows about Down syndrome you know it's 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 well known you know never think of that as being an issue if a child of ours was diagnosed with Down syndrome We've always had the conversation that it would never matter to us uh, in that sense that, you know, if that came back as Down syndrome, you wouldn't hesitate to bring that baby back home as well and do everything you could. But with Edwards and Patos, you just, I don't think anyone really knows about those. And, you know, I guess there's a reason for it. They're not as, um, you know, the children don't live as long or, as the medical profession say, incompatible with life. Oh, I hate that saying. It's an awful saying. And do you know what? It's absolute rubbish. It's not true. They're not incompatible with life. Not Obviously, you can't say that for all of all children with that diagnosis. But, you know, I've met a lot of families and a lot of children and they're not incompatible with life. They are living normal lives as best they can. It's the same with anything. It's such a broad spectrum. It's not fair to say that about every diagnosis. No, it's not. And do you know what that does? When that's said to you and you're hearing this from a medical profession, it's like dictating something onto you. So it's them giving their and you trust the medical profession because they are in you a trusted, yeah. But it's, I, I think it's a bit naughty because you know you're you're sort of told something that oh, what what I mean, what does that mean? What does incompatible with life mean? Like in reality, like to a mother carrying a child, it's the it's just the worst thing you can hear, and it just does. What do you say to that? You know, just what <laughs> you know, and it dictates to me. It almost dictates a path that they could not possibly know about your child. So I'm really anti that statement. Yeah. Uh, I prefer life limiting if you're going to use something to define a child with special needs or a trisomy condition, but not incompatible with life. It's 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 a vulgar thing to say. Life limiting at least gives you a bit to work with. At least there's a chance there or yeah. at least there's some aspect of life. Yeah. Whereas incompatible just means that's it. It's not going to work. But life-limiting, you've still got something. Yeah, life-limiting, you're putting life at the beginning of the sentence, aren't you? Whereas incompatible with life, you're putting it at the end and you're just writing off life, in my opinion. And you, nobody knows what a child is capable of. You know, scans and tests, you can do all that, but that does not define a child, any child. So it's a very bold and ugly thing to say, especially to... It takes away all the hope. It takes away every bit of hope. And and you know what? And I think that is, it's a very, very 
tough decision when you're you're told that and then you have an option to terminate for medical reasons and you know it's that's such a difficult thing for anyone to choose to do and everybody has got their right to do that as a family when what's right for them but i think given sometimes i feel personally when a medical professional person comes to you and says incompatible with life it makes you think that you don't have another option other than termination do you know what I mean it kind of leads it that way and I do think a lot of babies that have been diagnosed with Edwards syndrome have been given the label of incompatible with life and parents have chosen termination for medical reasons on that basis that they've just been given no hope and not been given like the other side of the coin well this is the other side of it and so you hear a lot less of Edwards and Patow's children because it's heavily sort of put towards that option rather than let's take a step back why don't we introduce you to some families that are living with a trisomy 18 or a trisomy 13 and you don't get that how much could that change your life though and change the decision that you could make I think it gives the full option then for a parent to make the decision and rightly so if you can't go through with that I'm not against termination for medical reasons you know that's a private and personal choice and it's really an individual choice and for no one to say for me it's not an option and it it, it wasn't for us obviously um but that's because we did our own research we were never it was never given to us freely but we decided to go away and go right what does this mean you know so even at that first appointment after we'd been to the hospital for the screening results i think the lady said like don't google I think you said something like, don't go and Google this now because you're just in a band. Yeah. So it, there was at that point from the screening results, there was a one in 76 chance. Now I'm an accountant, do the stats. There's a 98% chance the baby doesn't have Edwards. I'll take that. You know, so wow. we were like one in 76. You're in a high risk category if you fall in one in, fifth, one in 150. So we're like, we'll take that. That's what we, yeah. It's just because I'm yeah. a bit older, I'm an older, you know, and I just thought that's what it is. No, but I think that's a really good idea because um, your point of sort of almost how the news is delivered to you and the language they use is so mm. prominent for us. We had two different consultants, one that was very much, we'll wait and see, we're not sure. Well, okay. It's looking unlikely the baby's going to survive, but I can't say that. And the other consultant that we saw on one occasion did the opposite and sat down and delivered that news. This baby is incompatible of life. It's mm. really not looking good for this baby. Mm. And I think if we had had that negative consultant from the beginning, it would really have changed our mindset. We're Christians. And for us, it was very similar to you in that it was never an option to terminate the pregnancy. But how scared would we have been for our entire mm. pregnancy had we have had that consultant from the beginning? Yeah, it does. It, it, it Language is key. And I think language is key. I know like the medical professionals are, they're, they're just very black and white, aren't they? Uh, and that's fine. But, mm -hmm. you know, know your audience. You are talking to either a newly, a new mum. We'd obviously been down the road before because we'd had Hugo. But being delivered such harsh diagnosis. It's just, you know, it's it's a bit cruel. I, I just think they can, it could, language could be changed and it could be handled in such a in such a different way, and it could change everything for a parent. Really could. We had um, we had varying levels of consultants that were pro, and then the other ones that were, you know, we had our, the start of it was absolutely horrendous for us, but we ended up with a good outcome. 
So after we had that appointment, we, um, oh, that was it. We got given the option for uh, the CVS, the amniocentesis test, uh, the diagnostic test, or which is the invasive yeah. way, isn't it? Um, or the non-invasive way is the Harmony blood test, but you can only get that if you go private and pay for it. And we'd always said if we, this ever happened to us, we would do the non-invasive testing first and go down that route. I didn't know the non-invasive test was an option. Really? Yeah, no, it, it's an option, but it's you obviously it's about four hundred pounds to pay for it. So, mm. you know, so that's out of some people's reach. It was obviously for us. We were fortunate yeah. enough to be able to make the decision to to opt for that first off. It's not a diagnostic test, but what it does is it takes the. It's just a blood test. Um, but it takes the DNA from the baby out of the bloods and things. So I think they were talking about offering it on the NHS. It might, I don't know if it's there now, but when we was pregnant with Rufus, it was supposed to come in then. I think it was supposed to come into play, but I don't know what happened. Anyway, so we opted for that because we said, let's do this. So, yeah, we got an appointment that afternoon, the same day to have the bloods done, the Harmony bloods done. So we had that done and they went sent off. And I think they took... Gosh, that was on the Monday. I, you know what? We didn't get those results back till the following Tuesday. That must have been a really long wait. It's the longest week of our lives. Like, it felt like a year. And in all that time, you're thinking, 98% chance that he hasn't got this. We'll go with that. We'll always have this hope. Yeah. 98% chance he hasn't got it. We'd be very unlucky if we're in that 2% category. Um, yeah. Then on the Tuesday, so the following Tuesday morning, um, I was driving to work actually and I'd not long since left home and my phone rang and I knew it was a hospital that came up. I pulled over. I was just like, oh, I'll take a breath, answer it. And then the blow was delivered that we were, what were we then? We were high risk. I can't remember. Some of the words that have been used were, you know, high risk. Um, you're in the category of just all these words, just like, I don't know what any of it, you know, you're sort of listening to it and going, but what are you actually yeah. saying? <laughs> so we, it was a, it was a high probability. That was it. That it's a high probability your baby has Edwards syndrome. So it was defined into one category now that it was Edwards, and there was a high probability. I think I died a little bit there, <laughs> and just remember sat in yeah. the car, and I just, I don't even know if I said goodbye to the lady properly. She got, I, I remember she did a lot of talking, and I was doing a lot of crying and. She had us booked in to see a consultant, a fetal meds consultant, the next day at Winchester. And he would talk us through the results. So then I had to try and get myself back home. And I, I don't even remember driving home, but I must have done. I must have drove home. I wasn't too far. And I just remember, I, th I think I'd phoned Adam and said, I've got the news and told him. I think I fell through the front door. I literally collapsed into him. <laughs> and that day, I... I cried the hardest I've ever cried in my life because that was the that was it then that was everything everything that you'd hoped and planned for was just came crashing down in that one phone call there's so much to take in and process and you can't process it even you don't you I don't think you do process it and you don't you don't really know what to I just remember screaming a lot and I wanted to smash that. I wanted to smash things up. I was really angry, and um, just remember saying, "Oh, I just want to smash this place up." 
and Adam sort of said, "We'll do it. If we'll do what you have to do. Like let it out." Um, so yeah, I just felt like I just wanted to like. <laughs> I just had this rage, an absolute rage, came upon me. And then, gosh, that day was just calls to our parents, sort of explaining what we'd just been potentially diagnosed with, or you know, yeah. The next day then was the trip to see the consultant and. Oh, it was that was it was a strange experience because we we'd obviously been delivered with this news and then we're sitting in this room with other parents that were expecting children and they were having scans and all happy. And then we're sat in there and oh it's just gosh. like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to look at these people with their healthy pregnancies, like oh oh world's being shattered here and uh, I don't want to sit here. Sort of look out the corner of your eye and it's like, oh, ignorance is bliss, isn't it? Like, just get out of my sight. I don't want yeah, to see it's, you. and it's a horrible way to be, isn't it? You can't, I couldn't be happy for them. Mm. I just was just like, oh. No. Um, and, I, and I'm not that person. And it turns you into a, it turns you into a nasty, like, vulgar person, like, things like that. It is the anger that's horrible. It's all consuming. Yeah. And also, you know, you were mm. that person. It's like that was me like don't take it for granted you don't know what situation you could be in it does make you cross you feel like shouting mm. to everybody you do soak it up because you don't know you do though don't you and, and, and I, I mean I still feel that way now and you, you know uh, that's a seems like a, a lifetime ago when all this happened but we went in for we went in for the scam and I'd, I'd never even considered this, but he said, <laughs> the consultant said, um, okay, lie down on the bed. Let's um, let, let's scan you to see if the baby's heart's still beating. I hadn't even considered that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, what? Um, oh, my gosh. I hadn't even thought about that being an option or the case. And he said, Do you want Do you want to see on the screen? And I was like, well, I don't know now. You've put the fear of God. <laughs> Not prepared for that. So I said, um, so I said, no, 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 I don't want to see the screen because I didn't want him to scan me and then see a picture of my baby dead inside me. That, you know, that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and then he he did the scan. He was looking at the, the monitor was switched off that was facing us. And they said, oh, yeah, heart's still beating. You know, very blasé. Like, <sighs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is my this is my baby we're talking about this is didn't realize what he was talking about he didn't realize how you felt in that moment language again yeah being key and I said oh can you turn the screen turn the monitor on turn the monitor on I want to see my you know we want to see our baby and of course there he was kicking about and you know being a cheeky Aww. little chappy and we're just like oh gosh and then like he sort of said the um we'd done a lot of research that all I think my mum had done a lot of Googling about the chances of these harmony tests being false negatives. You know, you find everything, don't you? You'll Google anything. You'll Google the life out of anything to get that one bit of hope that you're the lucky one. And Mm -hmm. yeah, there was a lot of people saying that there was false positives with these and that they'd had a similar thing and it had come out wrong anyway. So we're still on this grain of hope, yeah? (laughs) We're still riding this hope train mm-hmm. that yeah, oh, well, he's, baby's still alive, and there's still a small chance that this is all rubbish and it's all a bad dream. You have to hang on to that, don't you? You have to have hope. You have to have hope, don't you? You do have to have it. It's it's just it. What's it's what keeps you going forward. Otherwise, what what is the point? Yeah. And then he he said um, they hadn't actually sent the 
the Harmony blood results across to him. So he hadn't seen them. He'd just been told high probability. So we sort of said, you know, is it right? You know, is it? Oh, is this the diagnosis then? And he said, well, it, it's it will be, you know. But he said, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the actual results. So because I think they give it a percentage. So we get the term right. high probability, but there's actually a percentage put on the results. So he hadn't seen that. So we had to, we got sent out of the room to go in the waiting room again with all these pregnant ladies and their partners all, yay, it's me. And I'm just sobbing. And then they did actually move us into a private room. And you you could just see these other parents just sort of staring at us, like, why are they crying? And I was like, and I just didn't care that they saw my tears because I wasn't really bothered no. about them. <laughs> and we sat in the room like, oh, shit, do you want some tea? Oh, yeah, because tea is going to really make this better. <laughs> I think I could do something stronger, oh, actually. You know, but yeah, tea. Tea's fine. Oh. Give me tea, lots of sugar. And we just sat there. And we just sat there for, oh, it felt like forever. And then um, the consultant came in and he had a piece of paper in his hand. And uh, he said, the um, the results have come back greater than 98%. So it kind of, oh. although it's not a... Um, uh, a diagnostic test he's you know he said yeah yeah but when he had done the scan he saw no markers for Edward so that initial first scan that he did there was no signs of it then no uh, no early markers anyway so he was like oh okay that he said he thought that was odd so we were like oh again that's good (laughs) that's good Mm -hmm. um yeah um but then so then what he said so so then yeah 98 percent greater than 98 percent chance that Edward, he's got Edwards. So then we're offered the, oh, that was it. No, again, we'll go back to, this is language now again. In order to offer you a termination, we have to do an amniocentesis, which is a diagnostic test. So they're already talking about terminate. You know, the first thing is before we can offer you a termination, I'm like, I don't want to talk about termination. You're talking. You're talking about it's killing my child fair. here. Like, shut up. We're not, no one's talking about termination. It's like they're just not aware of how much is going on in your head mm. in that moment to suddenly be offered a termination. It's like, whoa, hang on a minute. This is my it's baby. You're still talking about my you're still talking about my precious baby that I've got in university or head and what they're gonna do for a job. I've already planned it. What my bedroom's gonna look like. I've got the bedroom yeah. plan. <laughs> I know what little outfits I'm gonna put them in, and you're talking about killing our child while we're sat there, you know? Yeah, so that was, you know, again, just a massive blow. Just like, well, everyone stop, <laughs> just stop. Um, mm-hmm. So at the time, we sort of said, well, I guess we want to know for certain because then we know what we're dealing with, yeah? So he said he could do the, I was, I was about 15 weeks now. This was, yeah, I was 15 weeks. And he said he could do the uh, amniocentesis and it was very low risk um for miscarriage you know he goes but obviously there's a 0.03 percent chance and we were like well <laughs> we were 98 percent chance of him not having it you know we just we've got to keep going now down this road so we opted for the amniocentesis because we we just wanted to know for definite in hindsight i would never do that again never do that again oh, really? i'd never get the diagnosis because once you've got a diagnosis that dictates your dictates your baby's life from there on in 
without a confirmed diagnosis, yeah, it's not dictated for. Do you know what I mean? Like nothing is confirmed, and so if things aren't confirmed, they can't stop offering you terminations and t- using that language. They can't write your baby off before they're born. They will get support when they're born because how we all led on. So after after the amniocentesis that he did, we got the results back. This is a Wednesday now we're on and we obviously wanted the results back before the weekend. We didn't want to go a long time without knowing any more. Um, so we the it came back on the Friday, confirmed Edwards. That gap in between the Wednesday and the Friday's results, we'd done a lot of research. We'd found trisomy 18 families. We'd found these children looking happy and joyful with life and giving their parents joy and different ages they were reaching you know some lived in their 30s 18 you know little four-year-old girl that I still follow in um, her family and everything she's doing well you know just we just found this whole new side of Edwards and yeah I remember being sat in the lounge and at, at the appointment where you know the terminations being offered and then you know all they talked about was what would happen when we terminated so you would give birth and then you'd have a funeral and all this and it was all very yeah let's let's stop talking about um and obviously we did we did think about what they were saying and we already had Hugo we didn't do things selfishly and not consider Hugo in this we totally put his feelings into the mix and thought about it is this fair on Hugo and stuff like that and so we we did give it a second thought but it was literally a second thought and when we were sort of sat, mm. I think I don't know if it was the actual Friday morning before we got the results. We, Adam said to me, he just came out with it and he said, "I can't, I can't terminate this baby." And obviously, I was thinking the same thing. We'd not really spoke openly about it, and uh, I said, "Thank you." I said, "Cause I don't want to either." And it was just really nice. We just had this moment where it didn't matter what the result was because we'd made our decision. Yeah. You're on the same team. You know what you're both aiming for. Yeah, this is why I'm with you. You are, you're, you're just, yeah. you've got a good heart. Um, mm. You know, also a diagnosis, you're looking at the screen and you're seeing your little baby thriving with life. We couldn't end that yeah. for us, you know, so it just, it just really wasn't an option. So, so when we did get the results on the Friday, it was a very calm experience. I think we'd done a lot of the crying and it was actually a, okay, we know what we're dealing with. Let's do this. And it was then, because with the Harmony blood test, you can find out the, the gender of the baby. Yeah. We'd never done that with Hugo. We didn't know what was happening until um, he came out. Um, but we did say that we would have never found out with Hector, only for his diagnosis. And the reason it's important with the diagnosis is that for some reason, males with Edwards uh, don't survive as well as females. So we oh, really? we wanted to sort of know where, again, trying to manage our levels of hope, I think. So we wanted to find out what our next set of odds were <laughs> to sort of work with. And so mm. we opened the envelope to find out the gender and, and it came back male. And um, from there on in, Adam called him Bertie Bump. And that was his name. Aww. And so <laughs> obviously his name is Hector Bertie. Bertie is... Um, a very fond name that, that what he was affectionately called throughout the majority of the pregnancy. So yeah, from that was where yeah, he was Bertie Bump from about fifteen weeks. We had a horrendous time after that. We um, 
uh, we met with um, we met with the head pediatrician at Basingstoke Hospital, and I'll name and shame <laughs> the hospital. <laughs> we met with her because obviously we were planning to fully deliver and go the whole term and do whatever was necessary and fight for him. And the meeting with her was quite a shocker. She basically said to us that they would not support him after he was born. So I'd done a lot of research about what would be the best way to deliver an Edwards baby, um, whether it be natural or C-section, because generally heart problems Mm -hmm. are a thing. So we thought natural labor might be too much on his heart. So I was geared up to deliver by C-section. When I talked about my desire to deliver him by C-section, it was a case of, you won't have that option. And I was like, why? <laughs> and she said, well, we, there's no point. Why? Because <laughs> in her mind, she said, well, he's just going to die. Well, not if, we, not if we try and support him. He might not, you know, give the boy some chance. And exactly. she was just sort of like, I said, well, okay, we have a normal labor, natural labor. We want him fully monitored and that if he's in distress and what emergency C-section, we wouldn't monitor him. Why? What do you mean they wouldn't monitor him? He's he's a baby. He's got rights, yeah. He's got human rights. And he wasn't being he wasn't being given his human rights. And that for me was where I just wanted to fight people <laughs> physically and, you know, mentally. Because it was it was just like because he's got diagnosed with a Edwards syndrome. You have wrote my child off. You're telling me that my child isn't worthy alongside another baby. Because imagine, right, there are there are children that are born that go through screening results and don't get picked up, go through scans and don't get picked up, and are still born with a trisomy condition. But they are given every chance. And it happens. This is why I'm sort of, in hindsight, I would never get that diagnosis again. Because your baby is, I'm not saying everywhere, I can only talk about my story and what's happened to us but Mm -hmm. he was written off he was a write-off and that was the most hurtful thing that you were not going to give my baby a chance you were deeming my baby as not as worthy as another baby from another parent it must have made you so angry I I don't know how I didn't punch it to be honest (laughs) as a mum all you want to do is try and protect and try and give your baby every chance you can to say that they're not going to help you with that they're not providing the right care for you it it was just and you know what she said um another thing that language again terrible she and 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 she's a mother herself yeah and she's delivering all this as a mother to another mother which I thought was disgusting um she said that she'd had a phone call with the fetal meds down in Southampton and she said, I spoke to someone there and he said that the best option for this family is to terminate and try again. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> There's no words, is there? Like your baby could just be replaced. Like like you say, he was already Bertie Bump. He had a name. He was alive. He had he a was name. Moving. He had a brother. He had a mum and dad. And he was more loved than you could ever imagine at that point. You know, he was very very wanted and very special to us and they're just treating him like a bit dog meat don't know just must have made you so passionate to mm. fight for him even harder I'm a ferocious mother as it is I always have been with Hugo like <laughs> Adam will tell you like you know he goes you turn like get away from my baby like he goes like, you would kill <laughs> you are like a lioness with a cub I'm terrible 
but it's a natural it's, <laughs> you've obviously got it in you <laughs> I would I would kill for my children absolutely at this point that this head pediatrician nearly got yeah the lioness nearly came out but you know it was just walking away from there and just thinking right so I was on forums and things and you know was I was talking to I was talking to um medically professional people in America on these forums that were they support, you know, and basically all we wanted was we just wanted them to not look at his syndrome, treat his symptoms. What are his symptoms of the syndrome and treat that? Forget about the syndrome because all Edward's babies are different. All children are different. They're all made from different mm-hmm. DNA. So you can't say that one child dies, this one's going to die. And you can't you can't predict a child's life. So we were very adamant that get all the get all the research and knowledge that we can and know what to ask for. So we wanted to know what we had a right to ask for. And we had every right to ask for a C-section. We had every right for them to intervene after he was born if he wasn't breathing. We knew to ask for CPAP or whatever it was. So we were gearing ourselves up for this fight. Mm-hmm. And then we got to, we got up to about 20 weeks, I think, and we had a scam with a consultant at Basingstoke who ended up, he was quite, he was quite good. He used to rub my leg a little bit while he was scanning me. But he just, he had... um from one scan to another, he had the, there was connectors in the back of his brain that weren't fused together on one scan. And we went back two weeks later, and they he had healed, so they had connected. So he was wow. proving them all wrong. Um, he was just a little champ. He had minimal symptoms of the syndrome, and we were like, "We've got a little warrior on our hands here. No one's messing with our baby bump," you know. Um, and we were just like, he's going <laughs> to do this. He's just, you know, the consultant was just like, never seen this before. He's very strong. He was very lively and kicky and fidgety. He just wouldn't keep still ever. And he just defied all the odds, you know. He was a little boy with Edwards. You know, he hadn't, at 20 weeks, he was still going strong. You know, everyone's like, oh, he's still alive. You know, like, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. He's going to show you all. He's going to come out. It's going to come out punching, you know, like pow, pow, pow. Um, (laughs) But what we did find at the 20-week scan is that he had um, just a bit of a problem with his heart. So that's when we got referred to Southampton. And that was our saving point. Uh, We got to see a specialist about his heart and the consultant that we had there, Mr. David Howe, all hail him because what a man. He took us on board, looked after us. He treated our little boy and respected everything that we asked for and wished for. He got all the support in necessary. He got the heart specialists in. We got the neonatal teams in. We came up with plans of how we were going to do it. He was not writing him off wow. whatsoever. You know, he used to get annoyed with him because he'd try and scan his heart and he'd go, I give up. He won't stop moving. <laughs> and he goes, sorry. <laughs> he goes, he won't let me look at his heart. And, you know. It sounds like for the first time, Hector was actually treated as a baby. He was. In those appointments. Yeah, they said to us, we met with the neonatal consultant and she said, Edward's babies are just treated like, you know, we don't, they're not treated any differently. And I said, that is all we want. We're not asking Mm. for miracles here. We are fully aware that our baby could die. We just want, you know, we just, we just want someone to give him a chance and not write him off. And they did that, you know, they, they did that. And that was all we ever wanted. And, you know, they talked about things that his heart could be fixed. You know, they just kept wow. giving us more and more hope that we're like, okay, there's things, that, there's medication we can give you that keeps an extra valve open because he had a very, um, 
he had extra valves, <laughs> bless him. His heart was quite uh, different to what it should like. He was growing extra valves here and there, but one of the aorta valve was narrow. And so there okay. was a worry that it wasn't, it wouldn't pump enough blood around. But they said that the extra valve, that they could give medication to keep it open and help the flow. And then he could have an operation. Um, and it was just all very, you know, mainly positive mainly positive because he just he just had minimal symptoms and so it was just like thank goodness and you know this is where we started to think about what we were going to call him and we obviously had got quite fond of Bertie Bump and Bertie as a name but it was like it's just not strong Bertie's not a strong enough name we've got a little warrior inside we've got a trisomy warrior and he needs a Mm. strong name and that's where Hector came from because he was a Trojan warrior and was just like that's it that's it we, he needs a strong name our boy such a strong baby yeah so that's where like Hector came from in it um mm. because we just thought he's gonna do this he's gonna you know he's gonna smash this out of the park and he did bless him really until we got to 28 weeks and that was the um that was the blow where we found out that the placenta was failing him so he was doing all this fighting and his body was doing it all and then his placenta was struggling uh and but that was part of the as part of the trisomy condition so obviously there's different ways that it it happens but obviously when the cells all divide and things you know it's an extra it's an extra chromosome yeah on the pair 18 um so when all the cells are all being divvied out he got an extra one and that obviously it affects the whole it's either baby, you know, it's baby and placenta. It's the whole package. So he had minimal symptoms in his body, but it was the placenta that took the blow, really. So the placenta was got him to 28 weeks and was starting now to show signs of, you know, failing. So then I was sort of monitored. I was monitored daily then. And then plans had to change because the plan was always to intubate him, get him to neonatal and support him and help breathe for him if he need, you know, everything that he needed. Mm-hmm. And then Mr. Howe didn't think the placenta would last more than two weeks. We were always trying to get to 32 weeks. Mm. And this was only going to take us up to 30 weeks. And at 30 weeks, obviously, I think Tobias was 30 weeks, wasn't he? See? Yeah, he was. So 30 weeks, obviously, a bit different to the 32. Obviously, still, you know, 10 weeks mm. early and things like that. And so it was almost like we had to change our 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 plans a little bit or be prepared a bit more that we didn't want to put him through unnecessary trauma Mm. with intubation at 30 weeks if he couldn't handle it so instead of saying this is what we are going to do we had to then have this more flexible approach that we're going to have to see how he comes out now yeah and if he doesn't come out strong enough to be intubated we're not going to force that on him Mm. we're not going to put him through that if it's not going to be a good outcome anyway. Yeah. So it was all on him then. Everything was going to be all on him and how he came out. And that was a tough thing because we'd always had this plan that, yeah, we get to 32 weeks, you know, we can sustain him for that long, get him out, get him intubated, but, you know, be a fairly, you know, it was always a decent weight as well. He was never sort of under too much. Mm. Um, and, And, we, you know, we thought, we'd always get into the neonatal unit. We always thought that would be the case. And then we'd go from there and just do the next phase. But knowing that we were going to deliver at 
around 30 weeks now. It just changed everything. It was just like, okay, we we might, we, you know, we're making decisions here now that we're saying that we're not going to force intubation on him and we're going to, he potentially could just die in our arms there and then. Uh, and that was pretty tough. That was, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough one because we've done all this fighting for him and then we feel like we're letting him down and, but we just wanted to be kind to him as well. We didn't want to. You don't want him to suffer. No, we didn't want him to suffer. We wanted to have the right level of fight that was appropriate for what he or his little body could handle. And um, I'd got in for my daily monitoring. And yeah, the, the day he, that night he wasn't, at 10 o'clock you could set your clock by him that he'd have a little fit in there and jiggy about. And the Monday night he didn't. And I always feel that I should have gone in, but I didn't because Hugo was in bed and it was like, you know, didn't seem right to go in, but I always think I should have done. And I was going in the next morning for my usual monitoring and he just wasn't moving around so much. And I had to, you know, press the button every time he kicked and they were coming in going, it's not moving much there. I was like, no, here's some apple juice doing all the little things, go for a little walk. And, and he just, it just wasn't happening. And I was there for hours and they always said that once once that starts to minimalise his movements, you'll be admitted. And I thought, I said, they're going to admit me today, aren't they? And they said, he probably won't want you to go home. That was that was the day then that the um, Mr. Howe came down and he checked all the monitorings. Adam had actually gone to work that day to, to finalise all work plans and put things in motion that he wouldn't be at work. So it was typical that one day he did go into the office. We needed him at home. So he said, Mr. Howe did all the checks and said, he's... Um, we're going to deliver him today. And uh, he said, we're going to deliver him in the next hour because the blood flow had reversed now and it was he was starving him of oxygen. So he said, if you want to see your baby alive, now's the time to get him out. Gosh. So that was that. So I was, the anaesthetist was coming in and I was getting gowned up, you know, and he, he backed us all the way for the C-section. It was the only way. And, um, and he delivered, our consultant delivered him as well. Oh, that was quite special for us. He stayed mm. on late, like phoned the wife, sorry, because <laughs> um, he wanted to be a part of it. So we had the best guy on the job delivering him and, you know, did everything for him. They did all like delayed cord clamping. They had all the neonatal team there on standby and he came out and he was doing like little breaths and Adam was like, yes, he's doing it. He's breathing and stuff like that. And then he was struggling and there was just a bit of a battle. And I think for seven minutes they were trying to do gentle resus because, you know, to try to do very gentle first, giving him oxygen, clearing all his airways out. But every time they stopped and pulled away, he just, he wasn't, he just couldn't do it by himself. And, oh, oh, yeah, after about seven minutes, the head neonatal nurse said, I think it's time. And that, you know, that was it. They were sort of, that was their, what we'd sort of discussed that he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to make it be too cruel to, to punish him with a a tube when he wasn't didn't feel you know strong enough so that's when he came Adam brought him over to me and uh and as soon as he came over to me bless him he opened his eyes and so we got to spend that time together and it was only three hours and four minutes but it's the best three hours and four minutes (laughs) of our of our lives but yeah I I wouldn't have changed a thing about it um He's still our little warrior, you know, he's still fought all the odds and and you know, we got to see him alive, so he's such a strong baby. Yeah, he did so well, bless him. He did so well. 
Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a very emotional story, and I think Hector's story has just proved what a strong family you are, and he's part of that. He's a proper little warrior <laughs> that even when I know. The medical professionals tried to take away your hope, they couldn't, and oh, you still... To get to 30 weeks, that's a huge achievement. Huge. Mm, he did so well. He did. He really did. He, And, you know, if it wasn't for the placenta, he could tell what ifs and what's. And we can't live in what ifs, but we're very proud of him. Rufus has his name as his middle name so that we can, you know, Hugo got to meet his brother and hold him. Rufus obviously hasn't had that privilege. So we wanted to share a bit of Hector with Rufus so that he has something that we can talk about. That's lovely. Um, you know, why have you got, you know, Hugo has the middle name as Graham Edward and that's from his granddad and great granddad who's passed away. So that's his, you know, mm. little tie in with them. Rufus has his brother's middle name. And so it's his, it's his connection to him when he couldn't actually meet him. So we, you know, we'll talk about him and we've got Hector Bear with his ashes in and he's a part of our life every day we don't yeah we celebrate him include him in everything we do as a family he's just part the bear is part of the family mm. you know and we just include him in everything doesn't get left out no one gets left behind it's lovely it's the way we, go, it should we do everything be. together it's really lovely you're strong little boys <laughs> <laughs> yeah my boys are oh, just love them all so much so so grateful for all of them. Hector's taught us a new way of life, actually. Mm. Gratefulness, a new love, yeah, appreciation of, of everything. You know, we never take anything for granted and we just try and honour him and just live for him. Yeah. Got to, haven't we? Take a bit of his strength forwards because he, plen- mm. he had plenty Absolutely. of it. <laughs> he did. Yeah. He did. Our little boy did. Oh, what a lovely story. You're all so strong. And it's been really, really nice to hear more about him and your family and the little warrior. Thank you. It's been really good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for letting me share our story. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>